Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hey, hello, hello. Welcome back. Instantly picked something up and started fiddling with it, which you can hear on the microphone. That was dumb. Let's start again, shall we? Welcome to episode 7 of Falling Forward with Dan Lassac. Uh, I didn't think we would get here. I recorded those first six episodes as like a a pilot to see if you lot cared, basically. And, uh, yeah, you do. So here's another episode. This week's guest is Dan Hare, an artist and quite different to um, everyone else we've had so far. Most, most people we've had on have had a, a, a literal product to sell. Uh, I, and... You know, I'm not saying that selling your work's important, but Dan's work is very much more traditional art without being made in any sort of traditional way. A creative technologist. He has a massive body of work. Uh, you can check that out at danhet.com. And uh, it's really diverse as well. It spans warping people's minds in live music and, and club settings with visuals but all the way through to to work creating poetry in cities and installations and just just i'm jealous basically is what i'm saying i'm jealous but this is very much a podcast of the two halves as well which kind of leads me to the first time i've ever really done a trigger warning but there's a few things you need to know about the podcast before we start first thing things first I swear so much in this podcast. I noticed it when I was going through just editing out all the burps um, and all the cake eating. We ate a lot of cake. Um, But yeah, I swear, like, I think, especially in the second half where we're talking about more uh, emotional topics, my emotions come through. And, you know, that's fine. But just if you're at work, I do even use the C word once, so you should be aware of that. It's definitely not a ghoulish conversation. It's a conversation that leads to some some really big ideas about not only creativity, but what it is to be a human in the social media age, to 
have to live through painful life events whilst not being able to hide from the world. And I'm genuinely grateful that Dan was willing to share all that with me as well. So yeah, that's the trigger warning. I've never done one before, so... Is it a trigger warning or a content warning? I, I don't know. Also, I need to plug something. Me and Dan talk about it at the end of the podcast, but because of I talk over him about eight times, um, it, it's not a very clear plug. But he's currently currently working on I'm getting my phone out so I can get his description uh, he's currently working on a project called closed hands and it's uh, he'd describe it as a large-scale interactive fiction project that looks unflinchingly at radicalization and extremism so there I can read you don't know how many takes that took unflinchingly I struggled with many times uh, and you can find out more information about that at passenger-games.com or just Google it. It definitely sounds like a really interesting project and uh, you'll find out more about his other work in the podcast, but it's definitely an uh, evolution on that. And before we get started, I have to do the uh, horrible plugging. Uh, music, again, this week is by me. Uh, last week's music was actually unreleased stuff, which the Patreons should be receiving in the next few days. But um, I use my own music, so I'm not infringing on somebody else's, anyone else's copyright. Um, also, I fund this podcast entirely through Patreon. Obviously, there's travel and all that stuff. Uh, so if you if you're enjoying it enough, if you're finding it insightful, if you're learning anything, if you feel sorry for me, if, if you feel pity in your soul for me. Uh, patreon.com forward slash danlasak is where you go to drop me a dollar we do and support the cast although there is basically nothing to feel sorry for me for you know if I can fake some pity out of you that'd be cool I want to get the good pizzas <laughs> get to the point Dan anyway so here it is the episode this is me and Dan Hep chatting away up in his studio in Stockport Enjoy. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, 
Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It was cool. It was exciting. Amazing. So who are you? Oh man, who are Don't I? Um, this is, I'm, I've got that. <laughs> Oh, I wrote father next to your name. Just yes, in case I that is my, so. my entire definition as a person now. There we go. Dan Hat. Father plus other. Done. Uh, I, oh man, I answer this question so many times and it's, diff- it's different every day. So it depends in terms of like my gig and my creative thing. Mm. Uh, father, father of two. So if I kill someone, I'll be father of two in the newspapers. Yeah, yeah. And you're always father of two. Dan Hat, father <laughs> of two. Um, and then in creative terms, I guess I am somewhere between digital artist and experimental games designer and a bunch of other stuff. Mm. So I'm, I'm generally a creative digital You had a what, creative technologist. Yeah. I think yeah. I've seen you. So yeah. I've, had, I've had official proper jobs, nine to five jobs, where I've been a, a technologist or a mm. research technologist or a interactive dev, that kind of thing. So it's generally creative end of you said, the... You said that in, in like a talk or like Blab or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And uh, it instantly, I stopped listening to you because I started thinking about creative accountants. <laughs> and I was like, is a creative accountant someone who just uses lots of colours in Excel spreadsheets? <laughs> like a creative accountant sounds to me more like someone working for the mafia who like sort of like true, just creatively is it. I just like the idea... <laughs> Just very flamboyant Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, I'm just, just I'm just really really good at Microsoft Word at this point. So, <laughs> but I, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I'm I'm a software engineer under, underneath, and um, so I didn't I didn't study software at all. Um, no. And I studied just up the road. I can almost see where I studied from here as well. Never left um, at Stockport, and I did a degree in design and visual arts. And I thought I was going to be an illustrator or a graphic designer. I, mm-hmm. thought, I had it in my head. And then at no point did I realise I just didn't have the skills to do it. I was terrible. Um, so I was doing what was then called uh, multimedia, which is lots of animation and video and that kind of thing. Yeah. And fell into programming completely by accident during that course. And I, I have this. I, I tell this story constantly, but it's completely true. I had uh, I had to make a, an animation of this guy waving, but I only wanted him to do it three times and then stop. And I had to learn just enough code to go, okay, to do that. once it's done it three times, don't do it anymore. And li- literally that one thing was a kind of, ah, I, yeah. can, I can make stuff do stuff now. And it like, took, took a little while, but I kind of built up and up and up. And then ended up unexpectedly, my final project ended up being a really, really sort of software-y thing. Mm. Where I was making um, uh, computer interfaces for blind users using sound tones and things. Sort of mapping nice. kind of spectrums yeah. of kind of tones to space and stuff. So I kind of became a computer programmer literally by accident. I just mm. said, no, like, not by accident, but I kind of didn't expect it at all. Mm. Um, and then went into kind of still on the, I was, still, I was always been on the creative side. So I went into kind of. Did you, did you gravitate towards code and shenanigans because it gave you a, a way of creating the stuff that was in your head? Like you say, you're a bad graphic designer, but <laughs> you're, you're obviously visually, you have visual acuity. Yes. So yeah, yeah, was yeah. it like, because that's why I made digital music for years is because I, you know, 
rubbish musician. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it, it gave me a vehicle. I was like, oh, hang on, that thing in my brain, I can yeah, get it yeah. out finally. It's, exa- it's exactly that. It's, 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 it was just another vehicle, a, a much better vehicle for me to take what was in my brain and get it out in a form that actually reflected what I wanted to make. But yeah, I mean, the, the code thing is it, it's just a much more direct way for me to go, okay, I have this thing in my head, I want to get it out. And mm. programming has just been this natural way for me to express stuff really well. Sometimes in a way where I go, I want this to look exactly like this and I can pop it out. And increasingly, certainly over the last sort of four or five years, the code that I write is intentionally done so I don't know what the results are going to be. Particularly, yeah. I do a lot of stuff on stage now, for example, doing live visuals mm. for gigs and festivals and things. So I'm sort of using the same skills, but I'm now increasingly interested in unpredictability, which mm. is kind of the enemy of what most software engineers want. To explain for the audience, so you do stuff for, under the name Rituals as a mm-hmm. visualized and the algorithms. Yes. So algorithmic, both music creation and yes. you're doing the visuals. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do make sound, but I would never unleash it on poor, unsuspecting audiences. <laughs> I'm much more happy making things for eyeballs. But so you're creating like visuals live, but not in... So most people will have seen visuals, but usually that's video mixing. Yeah, yeah. That's video DJing. V, a bit of VJing. It's VJing. a very 90s thing on paper, I think. VJ, it is, VJing. it is. Weirdly, like, people like DJ Yoda do it now. I mean, uh, Yoda's, Yoda's it. a different case, though. He's like, that, that is next level. But mm. he's, I think his, I mean, actually, it's a really good comparison. So the, the stuff that Yoda does and, and similar artists, there's a complete sort of symbiosis between the music and the... I mean, he's literally scratching video. It's sort of mixed. Yeah. It's like exactly... Using Serato as a... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although he's... No, don't get technical, Dan. Move on. I, I couldn't tell on. you how, but, I, but having having seen it like a few times. In fact, he played bef- uh, after us at um, Blue Dot Festival a couple of years back. So I think he, uh, he might have. Is that Jodrell Bank? Yes. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, so what he what he does is a really good example, and it's similar to Algorave in the sense that the music and visuals are designed to work together. Together. Because I I've, I see I, I listen to a lot of electronic music. I go to a lot of raves and gigs and things, and quite often the visuals are just sort of a put something up because mm. it's flashy or whatever. But but it's, there's, there's not that kind of link. Yeah. And then the algorithm thing is, so if, you, if the listeners who are, don't know what it is, it's kind of hard to explain. I tried explaining it to my dad and he didn't get it, uh, is, is sort of a, an electronic music movement where everything is created completely live and improvised with code, mm. a small amount of code that tends to evolve over time rather than lots of, you know, you see it on the Matrix with like screens and screens and screens of code. It's like the opposite of that. It's like little tiny sort of almost phrases and paragraphs that yeah. generate loops and cycles and beats and things. And then the visuals kind of um, sort of are very, very closely linked in the sense that I'm reacting to what the person is improvising with. So yeah. I, I, I don't go into any of these gigs knowing what I'm going to be doing. I don't know what the tone of the music is going to be. It might be an insane drum and bass set. It might yeah. be a... I've, I've done visuals for like experimental drone sessions for like mm. two hours and whatever and everything in between, um, which is kind of kind of the draw for me is I like the idea of like my your entire career as, a, as particularly in, in software terms tends to be very planned out so mm-hmm. before I write a line of code there'll be meetings and sketches and designs and all this other stuff whereas this is much more about saying okay you've got this palette of stuff you can use creatively you have no idea what you're going to be asked to do until you're doing it and yeah. it's usually a few hundred drunk partying people doing it as well so it's kind of it's a terrifying thing um, mm. to do but it's creatively is, is exactly the kind of challenge that I gravitate towards so I've been yeah. it's uh, it's no no different to 
jazz or, or something like that. Like mm. it's a group of people who are communicating through the notes that they're playing. Yeah. So much creativity that is designed to be watched mm-hmm. as it happens. It's, it's a, it is a performance in the very yeah. sort of literal sense, isn't it? Yeah. It's a- so, so much of that, though, relies on some sort of synergy in, in people's ability to improvise. Mm-hmm. No, I've, I've always found it pretty interesting to watch. The band, there's a band who used to improvise everything that the bays, I think they were called. And uh, to see them live were... It was really cool. Well, once it was. The next time, <laughs> I don't know. I, I was going to say. Yeah, I think but, one of them was a bit ill. But that's that's part of the fun, though. I think like what what I I mean, even just as a as a punter going to performances, what I don't want from a band is to to get this perfect rendition of what I've heard on the record. What I want is is a a band to play, right? And I mm. think I think the imperfection is kind of what I want out of most things, really. Um, it's, it's kind of what it's what proves to you that it's happening, and that's kind of why. Yeah, you like from the music point of view, your album's not finished until you've played it live. Mm-hmm. Now, the only album that will ever be finished is your first one, because that's the one that happens after. You know, you you might. I mean, Pip didn't start till I was 27, 28 mm-hmm. so that album had been written over ten years and performed and all yeah. that. Whereas the second album. Like it's dog shit compared to what it became once we played it live. <laughs> yeah, hundreds. And you of sort times. of get under the skin of it yeah. in a live context. Yeah, the song yeah. everyone knows us for is garbage compared to where <laughs> it was ten years later, which mm. was literally ten years after. The uh, testing things to an audience that feedback helps so mm. much, mm. which must be nice for someone who would usually be creating things in isolation. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's. Uh, I I always had in my head this image of if you're writing if you're writing software in any context, I always had this image in my head of the you know this lone wolf kind of mm. at a computer headphones on going. Yeah, yeah. Which admittedly I was doing before you arrived for about six hours, <laughs> six hours. But but generally, I, I actually think the the biggest skill in in software or or any kind of I think most creative stuff that I'm involved in is communication, and most of the stuff that I'm most proud of has been the stuff that's involved others mm. um, and I think that when, you, when you're writing code I, I just think like without this ecosystem of other people around you and communication and helping each other out mm-hmm. I think you're kind of you're never going to get it and I, I'm nothing without talking to people constantly and I think that's kind of always been true of the stuff that I do I think, I think um, you can't do this stuff on your own and you can't mm. learn it on your own or you can get to a, you get up to a certain point but then as soon as you trip and get stuck because it's quite technical yeah. you can't it's not the kind of thing you can sort of jimmy yourself out of you always need other people so it's kind of uh, it's, it's almost the opposite of what people expect really um, it's, it's, there's definitely sort of no well, very very little isolation in my sort of mm. work anyway I mean if you look at my portfolio the really big exciting stuff is always with other people and almost always those other people are not programmers so I prefer working with dancers or theatre yeah. producers or poets or whatever else you, you did one called Paradox Paradox, which is like you. <laughs> oh and, man, yeah. It's like it's you and what eight people? Yeah, well, you're one that. of eight. Yeah. Uh, so, man. but you were given a space. For, so we were we were given the run of home in Manchester, which is a massive gallery. It's open for five years days. Uh, yes, yeah, so it was five full days, and it was it was a completely free uh, experimentation space, basically. So mm. there were sort of spoken word artists, painters, 
performers. And I was, word artist. It was just the whole Trash. thing. Was, it was great. It ended well. It was, it was actually it was great. Actually, she was like, and we're sort of all, all still in touch. And everything. I don't think anyone's worked together since. We need to never hang out. <laughs> but as a thing, um, being the only. I don't think anyone, kind of, we've, any of us have spoken to each other ever again. <laughs> but. <laughs> we are, we're, we're pals, um, but I mean, like as an experience, like that was that was kind of one of the kind of tipping points for me. Bef- where, uh, uh, at that point, when I did it and did well and kind of expressed myself weirdly with a load of other people, yeah, because at that point I sort of almost began to allow myself to be called an artist in yeah. some contexts. Um, I mean, it was it was five days in this massive gallery space. The public could come in, but we could do anything we wanted in the space. So the public and, could um, come in and just see the process. Yeah. and we were all happening. dressed. We were all dressed in white. We had paint and light and everything else, and we were just we just annihilated the the joint constantly, mm. and then rebuilt it and repainted it and annihilated it again. And we were playing with the audience and trying to make paths through the gallery. And we made works that would then disappear within a few hours. Um, then we collaborate and then we break each other's stuff and it was and yeah. we started to get covered in paint and we were all kind of exhausted and sweaty and and it, yeah it was, it was kind of hard to describe but the the whole thing was just like this and it's, it had like all these ebbs and flows to it and it got really really weird after a mm. few days it got we turned all the lights off on the second day and the mm. lights just stayed off for the whole thing and it it got really intense and we were experimenting with light and form and cameras and paint and yeah all sorts so like proving that I could do that and you know although I'm a tech guy under the hood putting myself in a context that is completely improvisational was quite a, yeah, well, quite that's, a weird thing this thing like if you're a painter and you're improvising you you can you can make it happen instantly mm. it's, how long does it take to dip your paint in some your brush in a paint some <laughs> paint and put that brush on something but like you obviously have already been gravitating towards that trying to make mm. a computer process instant, instantaneous but how did you find that challenge did you did it take you time to find <laughs> your space within that group kind of yeah I mean so what, what, I, what I did was I brought a bunch of sort of stuff with me that I knew I could work with really Crack quickly and so heroin. yeah just just basically yes. meth the whole time um, <laughs> and so I had the art is that I stayed alive if I, I could have done with it it was ridiculous mm-hmm. um, but I had like a lot of a lot of bits of live code for example so I had stuff ready that would generate patterns based on noise input or textures mm-hmm. and I had a load of I, I, I do do a little bit of video mixing occasionally so I had like a lot of video textures and things and we were mapping onto stuff and kind of experimenting so it was all quite simple yeah but again my stuff tends to be fairly simple anyway but the idea that oh we'd build this massive structure or they someone would build some massive structure and then I'd be able to quickly rig up a projector and and light it up and experiment yeah. with it and then they'd sort of open it and then we'd we'd mess around and it was it was being able to respond really really quickly I think actually a lot of the stuff you do with a computer doesn't necessarily have to take hours or days. You can go, mm-hmm. okay, just give me five minutes and I'll put something exciting on this thing and we can, we can mess with it. Yeah. But I, bring, I, I use a lot of hardware controllers and things just, just so I can not be looking at the screen mm-hmm. and I can be looking at the thing that I'm doing and messing with stuff without looking at it. Um, so I tend to kind of, I, li- I like using things like iPads so I can mm-hmm. go into the crowd and experiment with stuff and, and see it from where the audience is. For yeah, example, this, uh, kind of thing. The, the touch thing. <laughs> Oh, Touch OSC. Oh, Touch OSC, but I'm actually thinking of something else. Okay. Um, um, Tim Exile, electronic musician, mm-hmm. is developing an app at the moment called Endless, which is a looper, basically. Okay. So, But it's got synth in there, drums in there, beat 
choppery stuff and all that. Is that a technical term? Beat, beat chopper. Beat, beat choppery yeah. stuff. Beat repeat, I think some people. <laughs> but I don't, I've never used touch, really. I've always been either keys or, or knobs. Mm-hmm. It's really odd, like so instantaneous. And the way they've built that around a mobile phone, it's really... It, it did something strange. It kept making me think about how easy it must be for children to understand phones. Yes, I can absolutely confirm that. Like, because <laughs> it just made me remember, like, it's, being... It's a, a problem, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like we, we all, as kids, touched everything. And now you get instant feedback. Like, if you've got a modern phone, it'll even give a little bit of haptic feedback little, little to let you know. And I'm just... Like, I'm wondering how how touch is so natural, yet does that mean our kids are going to be elite hackers? <laughs> you know? I'm really worried about this, actually. So I, I was a lot more computer literate than my parents and was able to get around anything they put in place in terms of blocking stuff. But I'm very worried yeah. that my kids are going to overrule How me. old are your kids? At the moment, six and four. Okay, so you don't so. have to worry about the porn ban yet. Uh, well... A bit. But, the, <laughs> but like, like, literally, I think... Like, there's modern 10-year-olds who are going to be able to get around that porn ban. I'm very worried. To Um, be fair, you can just Google your way around the porn ban when it comes in. But, I mean, the the touch thing is really interesting, though. So, like, um, Ed, my youngest, um, he's not even four, and he touches every television to him is a touch screen and he's mm. just and he's got that swipe thing is like the default and he just it touches around until stuff happens and it's normally me pressing the remote but he he's his first experimental kind of you're lying to is, him i'm lying not quite lying but I just, it just happens it's at the fun. same time but yeah it's, it's just really really interesting if it's just the default interaction method now is to just press mm. your finger on it and swipe and, and prod around and stuff so but yeah, I, I think um, I, I definitely know my stuff, but I'm, I'm genuinely worried. I think like every generation, you think you know, you, you think you know, oh, gotcha. and then the thing that is you need to know in ten years is going to be not something you know, and then your children are going to be smarter. Yeah, it, it, we are like constantly ramping up, like mm. the, in in development, in the knowledge you require to to get through the day. As such. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, these systems are so naturalistic mm. that yeah my mum can cope with a touchscreen phone mm-hmm. you know she's she's very intimidated <laughs> at first but she's far more comfortable with with a tablet I got I got her like a she wanted a tablet but she won't accept gifts so I got her like a crappy Amazon <laughs> Fire for like 60 quid yeah. or something and uh, she uses that far more than the computer they've had sat in the corner for yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they've had that computer since I was 18 <laughs> I think it's a 286 and it oh, hand crank but I mean uh, if it's, as long as it's got a browser on it then yeah. you know I mean my, my in-laws um, they have a tablet now but they had a they were Linux users for years and didn't know what Linux was because I, I rescued their old laptop stuck a Linux distribution on it yeah. because all they wanted was a browser and mm. like it didn't matter what was underneath and actually so I, I think they're probably the most inexperienced Linux users ever but it didn't matter because <laughs> they could click a thing and it get it put internet on yeah. that was enough but they're now on everyone's on tablets and kind of um yeah, I mean, even like really, I saw a video the other day of a, a kid playing Fortnite against some guy with a mouse and a keyboard, and he had like his both his hands hovering. He was playing on a tablet, both his hands hovering over it, making the tiniest little motions with almost all of his fingers, like yeah. he was touch typing, and he was kind of selecting items and also moving the view and controlling his characters. But his hands were like barely moving, and it mm. was it was just like a level of interaction that I I just never thought possible and could mm. never achieve. 
uh, physically uh, or mentally. Um, gaming is is weird anyway because it drives it drives so much. Uh, I think it 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 does a lot to teach us art, like aesthetics, and you know the. I know cinema's done it for years and all that, but I think you mm. spend so much time in games mm. that you can't you can't avoid it. You can't help but see mm. the creative process that goes in there. I don't know. Although there's games that are just big anime titties as well. Which <laughs> not my bag. T- takes all sorts. Takes all sorts. There's a game for everybody, to, especially creepy weirdos. To to create interactive <laughs> por- pornography. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said uh, in one of one of the I watched a few talks I read a few articles mm-hmm. you can't draw which you brought up already <laughs> not sure I can't draw I just you, no that's what you said, you said I, I, I've written it here it says can't draw shit graphic designer oh, okay uh, that's true I've written average programmer but you actually mm. say okay programmer <laughs> that's true so and I say it quite a lot so I get a lot of questions from people going, oh man, can you teach me how to be a rock star programmer? And actually, I'm definitely, definitely not an incredible programmer and have spent my entire life working with programmers who are vastly superior to me. Mm. And I kind of, what I say, what I always say to these people is kind of, again, it, it often it's, I think I, I don't describe myself as a good programmer, but I, I am a good problem solver and I, I'm a good I'm an ideas guy. <laughs> kind of, so although, although programming tends to be the primary way through which I do stuff, I kind of I got to a certain level of skill where I, I went, great, I can do this stuff now. I can get ideas out of my brain. But then from there, there's a massive extra amount of skill that you could do. If you know, if you want to become really specialised at computer graphics or AI or you mm. know whatever your specialism within computer science is, that that is is what I would describe as an excellent programmer. Whereas mm. I'm more like somebody who harnesses programming to do stuff but I'm, I, 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 I would never describe myself nowadays as a software engineer mm. because really it's not that's not the primary point of what I do what I am is a digital artist so a artist software tickler? yeah I'm just a noodler noodler so I'm a software botherer at best <laughs> um, but I just think I mean although I have I've made massive complicated things I can write excellent code just don't want to anymore because doing that is there's a lot of extra stuff you have to do so you know so I, was, I was at the BBC for years and I worked on a game uh, for four-year-olds called Storytime was that, that the Bannister Award winner? <laughs> I actually wasn't uh, but I, wor- I worked on a different project that won the BAFTA and then Storytime was the runner-up as well oh <laughs> so, what, so you yeah, in so the same year in the same category so you were just just <laughs> Well, double. Well, I still didn't go to the party. You were double bagging the, the Baftas. I only saw the trophy once, and then the BBC presumably threw it into their their pile cupboard. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so like that kind of yeah, thing. What, what, like a, what's the fucking deal with only getting one? No, it's one trophy, really heavy as well. They're me pretty good. me and Pitt won. Uh, there's the Association of Independent Music, and we won like best video. Mm-hmm. And there's me and Pitt. That's two people, and the guy who directed the video, Tom. Did you get one each? One plastic trophy. Unbelievable. And it, it wasn't like a BAFTA, <laughs> which is like metal and mm. like craft. Like you could you could kill an intruder with a BAFTA. I mean, like, this was hefty. like this wasn't even three D printed. This was just cut out <laughs> of thick, clear plastic, like a clear acrylic. It's not about the materials. It's about the you know what it represents, right? Oh, we can't. Yeah, we we just do one. But you can buy a blank one. <laughs> Wait, what? So I can buy. <laughs> Without my name on it. 
Awesome. You can't buy the meaning though, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, um, so that, that kind of project was a year long, mm. super kind of, I mean, it was at the top end of my skill in terms of complexity and everything else. Um, it's funny because you bring up in, in talks, you bring up <coughs> clips of, of story time mm-hmm. and people laugh and I still can't work out why. It's, it's because it's like, I give talks to friggin' hipsters. Yeah. Who, and yeah. like actually the, the like, fact that it's all... a cute dog puppet it's, there and stuff. And, <laughs> so I think it's because a lot, a lot of, particularly like, like software people are, are a nightmare as well. So I, like they're all kind of engineers and then I go, yeah. I'm more happy that this is squidgy and colourful and silly. Mm. Um, so it's that kind of thing. I, so I can I can do it, but like I think in doing that, that it, this, it's a very time-consuming thing. It takes a long like there's meetings and and hundreds of people involved, and it's all, it's a very difficult thing to do. Whereas I'm I'm much more interested in going. Okay, I can take all of the skill that I would put into that kind of project and do something super quick and laser focused, and do a thousand of those in the same yeah. time, kind of thing. And it's it's sort of um, I absolutely wouldn't want to shit on anyone who does amazing software stuff and yeah. you know uh, we, we need those people I just I'm not the guy anymore um, and I, I just as soon as I sort of made the mental leap to start just do, just having a bit more fun with the stuff mm. I can't go I couldn't go back now I, can't, I yeah. just, just couldn't do it I like, even as a 9 to 5 I don't, I don't think I could if someone said oh can you I'm going to pay you for, to do a 6 month software project like even if the money was good I just I don't, don't think I've got it in me nowadays yeah. I really don't so um, <laughs> you've, you've brought up the BBC you worked for the B what three four years uh, about, yeah four four and a half years something like that so yeah, fair chunk years. of that with CBBS mm-hmm. doing doing yep kid stuff interactive shenanigans squidgy, for them yeah squidgy kid stuff and then the last chunk was with R&D yes yeah which is crazy you don't <laughs> doesn't even think you don't even think that the BBC would have it's not that you don't think they would have one. It just never crosses your mind that mm. they have an R and D department. Well, I mean, the R and D department has been part of the Beeb. So, so the R, I think I think the R and D department is are the only ones that are specifically named uh, in the okay. Royal Charter from like the thirties or whatever it was. I don't know. I've not revised. Um, but I mean, they like they do tons of stuff. So like things like Codex and like really hardcore important stuff. Yeah. Um, is is often from R and D. I mean, when I was there, it was sort of working on slightly more. Um, unimportant, arguably projects. But they, I mean, they they, they just t- they do such a wide range of stuff, and I kind of arguably, and I, again, I say this in my talks is like it was really a dream gig, mm. doing cutting edge weird stuff with computers, um, and I still I still quit. And still quit. Funny about in art galleries. Because <laughs> well, because I think it's because I I sort of been moonlighting doing bits and bobs. Mm. I mean, I've been doing freelance gigs on the side for ten years, and then. I got to a point, so, I, I, that this, so I've been freelance fully, like full-time, um, for two, a bit over two years. And R&D, I was sort of full-time, really having loads of fun. But then um, my sort of war story for why is that it used to take me ages to get there. And I'd sit at a computer for eight hours some days, say hello mm. to my colleagues, and then leave again. And then it used to, I, I, I missed my kids. Um, like every, it was about four days in a row where I didn't see my son in the morning because I, I left early. Yeah. And I got back really late and he, he, he asked where I'd gone on holiday. <laughs> and, and literally, I just, like, literally, I just went, I'm not getting this time back. This is ridiculous. Yeah, and yeah. then like, then just handed my notice in. Um, went freelance just mostly for the flexibility. You're not getting this time back either. This time <laughs> right now, this is. I'm, I'm going to send you an invoice. I'm keeping time. this. I'm keeping this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just bounce of, invoices <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> 
with a sorry, sorry this took a while um, <laughs> but yeah I mean like so I, I kind of been thinking about it for years and but never really had that kind of nothing ever pushed me off the cliff it's, it's quite a scary thing suddenly becoming self-employed is well, yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. terrifying um, but I just thought well initially it was kind of like well I'd rather be sat having breakfast with my kids and taking yeah. them to school instead of sitting in a crowded train in some guy's armpit for an hour and a half every day mm. and that was great and I totally don't regret it but then over the last couple of years I've kind of hit my stride and gone actually I can do this I'm now doing a ton of stuff that there's no way I could say yes to uh, residencies you know I went to Pakistan on a residency mm-hmm. for a week and did like weeks and weeks of prep in the run up so that was Lahore like that. wasn't it yes yeah. I've done research I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting better at this yeah I mean so I, I kind of um, so the context for this was that I was asked to go to Lahore um, with uh, the guys from Mad Lab this amazing um, creative kind of uh, group, I guess, that used to be a place and now they're more of an entity and they're great. Um, so we went out there with the British Council and the project that I started was sort of an exploration into Islamic geometry. So you mm-hmm. see in architecture and textiles and everything. And that's kind of a really good example of me putting myself in a position where mm. I have to do something new. And it was kind of like something I found interesting. I had no knowledge of it whatsoever and went, great, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to use my code and my skills and whatever to go, okay, well, can I explore this and kind of add to it or whatever but the thing that sort of fascinates me about it is it relates to creativity in that our limitations we're always being limited Mm. we've either got limited time or limited uh, money money or even (laughs) limited ability in my case (laughs) but but those limitations are things that you learn to either embrace Mm. or overcome and Obviously, that's almost for an Islamic artist. That's the ultimate limitation that, oh, you can't draw God, by the mm, way. Mm. Don't draw God. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to do something else. Yeah. Quick. But you know, you know we pretty much invented math, right? You can use that, although don't actually use the numbers because they're bad as well now. <laughs> they were good for a while, but then we decided they were bad. We made up the word algorithm but don't use the numbers. I feel like there was probably more to the conversation, but that is, that is my, my That's reading That's like of a 300-year <laughs> thing. Compressed into condensed. it. But I, it's fascinating to me that, like, okay, so clearly, like, 800 AD, um, that part of the world being, like, the, the melting pot mm. of, of, of mathematics and big thought, and then becoming a little more restrained by, by new religious doctrine... Obviously, the religion had been around a long time, but it became mm-hmm. a lot more restrictive. Yet, the creativity had to come out, and and the mathematics had to come out. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you go into an older mosque, and it's a beautiful. It's made by a computer in a, in mm. a, in a sense, but obviously not. Well, I mean, this. It, I mean, the reason I, I gravitated towards it was that I, I didn't touch a computer for weeks and weeks and weeks during the activity so mm. the first kind of part for me I mean I, I would I will not profess to be anything but a dabbler still mm. just in terms of just just learning the very very core concepts um, so I, I, I felt it was really important to, to work by hand to go okay well yeah. how do I start to draw these forms because they, they tend to be so the, the idea you is you weren't like you pulling can, out a spirograph <laughs> to be honest, a few people made spirograph jokes and it was kind of like <laughs> it's so much better than that so Come on, much man. more um, but I mean the idea that with, with a mark making tool and a straight edge 
and well, I mean a compass or like you know if you were doing it big sculpturally it would just be a piece of rope and you you can construct all of those forms from those tools without looking at numbers or anything else mm -hmm. it's all about kind of how circles and shapes and everything else interlinks and you I spent a few weeks doing it just by hand on paper and I think my wife thought I'd gone mental my entire house started to fill up with pieces mm -hmm. of paper mm -hmm. and books and things um, and it, that, that, that part is the sweet spot for me of mm. this is a, a new thing to you you know nothing about it wade in yeah, try yeah. it give it a whirl and then while I was doing it I sort of like got, I got better and better at sort of constructing more and more complicated forms and it was like this, this light goes on in your head where you go I've made this from nothing but a bit of knowledge and it's mm. just like a pure expression of geometry and it makes these beautiful things that just emerge from almost nothing and it's mm. that it's that kind of that simplicity of the, I don't need a vast array of tools. I just need to know how to how to tickle out this kind of yeah. how to tease out the the, the the kind of the form within. It's all, it's all it's all there. You just need to know how to kind of extract it. Yeah, and ev everything makes sense. And it's sort of so you. I mean, you can get. Yeah, I, I could talk about it forever. It's a fantastic thing. But what what was cool about it was once I got to a certain point of just understanding the basics. It was very very you know people dedicate their entire lives to to this to this field of study. Um, I then started to go into the computer to go okay well can I make the computer kind of follow my process so mm. I ended up producing this kind of continually updating almost like live animation that would draw the circles in pencil and delicate kind of forms first and then put in the patterns over the top just to demonstrate the process and then all we did was we took that and just beamed it massive in the middle of Lahore on the side of a building and mm. it kind of just caused a bit of trouble but I mean it, it, all it ended up being was like a digital expression of the stuff that I'd learned mm -hmm. and that sometimes is enough and my initial ideas for it were really complicated saying oh well can we hook up a connect so people could wave their arms and draw pictures and all this other shit and the more I, particularly when I got out there and I was kind of like sat cross-legged on the floor of this hotel room kind of racing to get it all finished and then I sort of like realized actually the thing in and of itself is appealing and interesting enough and I was stood there kind of for three nights while it ran speaking mm. to people just to say what this they were like what, what is this is it a video and I was like no no it's a computer that's doing this thing and it, it was enough to just say that to say I've just made this thing that expresses me learning this and, yeah. and just demonstrates how much you know drawing a like a, a hexagon with a small pattern on it there's actually quite a lot of geometry underneath the, mm -hmm. the, gui the guidelines are then, then disappear and the final pattern is there and all it does is it shows that construction and mm -hmm. then gets rid of the construction and shows you the final thing and it just doing one I think just as a broad thing doing one thing and doing it really really well for me is worth way more than overcooking something and having a million things but it being a bit impenetrable mm. you know if I'd done something really complicated where I need to tell people how to use it you know if I'd set a connect up or a camera and said oh you need to do this and, and until you do it you won't get it and blah, yeah. whereas this is it's just an appealing thing in and of itself and doesn't need any more framing it's, it's one is quite interesting because I had I've only seen stills of that so I've not seen that the computer was actually showing the process as well you seemed more interested in how it got made rather than the final product stuff like that where I'm I basically try and recreate images by giving computers very simple instructions and mm. then figuring out if it's gotten closer or not you're sort of brute forcing into, into, into something yeah. but actually I, I quite like that you know there are a million really clever ways you could do it but actually, I prefer the idea of going, okay, I'm going to write this very simple thing and just leave it running, let it happen. I yeah. have no idea if it's going to work, but it's going to be interesting finding out, right? Yeah. And that's, it, that sort of pervades all my stuff now. Like, it, like, it's exactly the same as what I do on stage. 
when I go, okay, that, I'm going to set that number, I'm going to set that shape, I'm going to pick some colours, mm. I have no idea what it's going to turn out like. I've got a pretty rough idea of a direction, but I, I don't want to know what it's... I, I want to mm. see it unfold in front of me, and that's kind of... That's the kicker for me. But is that part of the attraction with, in a sense, writing bad code? That <laughs> as you don't... Loaded term, is, that... Bad you know code. what I mean. <laughs> like, write it um, so that you don't yeah. quite know the, what... The I think that's, is that's, that's more that yeah it's it's not it's it's depends on your metric of good and bad I suppose um, but I cer- certainly I think um, writing code where your intention is to not know what's going to happen particularly when you're doing it at scale in a nightclub mm-hmm. in front of hundreds of people is if that's the goal then simple weird code is definitely a good thing right mm. but I just think like I, I prefer that over you know if I'm working with a team of five or six other people on a hundred thousand quid project or whatever. Yeah, I don't want to. I want to know what's going to happen when exactly. I press the button. Yeah. Right? It, it just makes. But me where's think. the fun in that? Yeah. So I kind of, I'm really, really interested in people interrogating forms like that. Even mm. though, you know, that it's it's more of a just a new way of looking at things rather than going. Oh, I'm going to pour seven years of monstrous coding into something. I like the idea that I can just take a different approach to stuff. Yeah. Without tripping over the code, just it's just a yeah. I just I just prefer different approaches versus monstrous levels of technology. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. I think that sounds like a cop out for wanting to not write loads of code, which it kind of is. Well, but <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> like yeah. you can, like this is what I want to do, especially as a creative. Like I want to create this. This is the way that's going to most entertain me, or easiest way for me to create this. Yeah. yeah. There's there's nothing wrong in that, and it's something that happens in. Uh, all creative industries mm. we start getting into this idea that well I want to make this kind of music so I need all this equipment I need oh, to spend the, this money the kit and thing do, man da-da. it is endemic like there's nothing worse and I, I, I do this I'm really bad for this I think there's there's always and I don't think it's even just a creative thing it's just a, it's just a people thing the, the notion that if you buy the latest thing you will become excellent at the oh, thing oh yeah like you know if, if the, if, like the midlife crisis guy buys a 4,000 quid road bike or yeah. a guitar or whatever, and I've done it. I'll buy. I bought a, an expensive MIDI controller, thinking, "Man, my sense mm. are going to go off now." What, what did you get? Uh, oh God. Well, I don't know, but I got I got rid of it in favour of a, <laughs> a cheap APC mini. Good, good, because <laughs> it goes in my bag easier. Mm. <laughs> but like, I'm I'm really bad for it in terms of saying, right, well, if I download the latest soft, latest version of the software, then my stuff must be intrinsically better. It's going to come out better. Mm. But ultimately, like it. it it's not. That's not. It's completely not yeah. true. And I know. I'm, I know. I'm doing it as well. So now, I, and again, I kind of consciously make an effort to not depend on the latest cutting edge stuff. And I prefer going. Okay. Well, I can just make most stuff in JavaScript and a bit of this and a bit of that. And it's. Le- it just becomes less sort of tooly, I guess. Mm. And this is why I kind of. Um, I'm put off by things like a lot of really hardcore VR stuff. And there's so many people doing amazing stuff in mm. it. But I, I never want to make work that is really dependent on a particular kind of gadget or a particular kind of yeah. thing. I like I like making stuff that can just exist anywhere, or yeah, in as many places as possible. One one of the many algorithmic music creation things um, is that Sonic Pi. One? Yes, yeah. We'll run on a Raspberry Pi, but we'll also mm-hmm. it will pretty much run on run on yeah. my toaster if you ask nicely. Yeah, yeah. but that's uh, the appeal for me. Is it yeah. democratizes it? You can just any computer will run it. And it, it becomes about you and not about your stuff and how I've much been, you've spent. Or I've been talking like a uh, kid came at me. He, he did kind of come at me <laughs> on, on Twitter. All, all up in your face. But about microphones, weirdly. He was like, well, I can't, you know, I'm too, I'm too poor to 
make music, you know, because I was doing that okay. sort of shit. inspirational <laughs> thing. But like, first of all, he's tweeting me from my phone, so yep. he owns yep. a microphone, and well, if you've for free, there are plenty of free apps that you can start making beats yeah, with. Completely. Uh, if you've got forty quid, there's a fully featured door made by Korg that runs on iPhone and iPad. Yeah, and you've got so it's like well. No, you don't get into this thing where you need a three thousand pound Neumann mic. You're still gonna have to learn you know, to use it. You know, you're still gonna have to make the content and make the thing. Yeah, like, and, and I think it's, you also get that diminishing returns thing, right? You know, it's, it's stuff like, um, like it's things like even Photoshop or whatever. Shit hasn't changed in ten years, and you, it, yeah. it hasn't. It really hasn't. Like, and I just, yeah. I mean, software is exactly the same. People you just fixate on having this, the the latest thing, and it, it ultimately is not. And you can make. I make my games nowadays in. So I make a lot of video games, and I I make them in Twine, which is for mm-hmm. making stories. Pico Eight because it's sim- it's just sim- it's easy, and I can just do it, and it runs everywhere. Mm. And I'm just, I, yeah. I just I think like the the more experienced I get, and the like the older I get, the less interested I am in in making stuff that is just has so many dependencies on having bleeding edge stuff or yeah. really hardcore requirements and all that stuff I don't know it just um, puts me off a little bit you bring up Twine obviously mm-hmm. um, one of the games you made in Twine was mm-hmm. um, See You Later which deals with the aftermath of the Manchester mm-hmm. bombing and your brother's death you can I just see can you feel my like sudden nervous, nervousness cut it with there. a knife can't just you <laughs> straight in just, it's totally fine straight um, in at this, at this point it's absolutely fine to talk about it I've, and I, ha- I have a lot of people going am I okay to talk about this yeah, yeah. standing on stages and talk about it it's completely it's a completely cool thing to, not cool thing to talk about but it's fine but like so uh, for people who don't know Twine is um, a HTML i.e. The, the browser internet uh, engine for creating games. It, and yeah, I mean, well, specifically inter- interactive fiction. Interactive really. fiction, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> obviously, the the Gamergate legend Zoe Quinn made her depression quest in there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not a Gamergate but <laughs> I, I, I like legend. I, I played, I like depression quest, and mm-hmm. I'm fine with women existing. Just for <laughs> just for clarity, there. but um, put that on your business card. Obviously, see you later is a deeply emotional thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like <clears throat> you do crack jokes in there, which is impressive. There are, but, that, but that, that pervaded the whole thing. And yeah. thought, like, I so I, I obviously it was a fucking horrendous experience. I'm sorry, I should swear. Uh, oh, you can swear. <laughs> so not, it was. It I'm was not the c word yet. I'm saving that okay. for in case we bring oh, man, up Tommy I don't want to be the later. First. Um, so yeah, it, it, the humour thing kind of pervaded the entire thing anyway, mm. in a, in a, and I think that's quite common. This sort of black humour that you just kind of um, you kind of sometimes fall back on. Like I suppose because you're not, even though you're talking about what is happening mm. in the moment, you're still talking about your brother, mm. and you clearly like in, from that you, I can infer that you two had a, a fucking fun relationship. Yeah, that's, that you, that's where it's from, isn't it? Yeah. You know? so, so like. So there, are, so there are jokes in the game, and you know, I, I made a, probably the most horrific joke I've ever made, or never will make, on Twitter about a day after we'd found out he'd been killed, and I said something about him making this bold social media move, but it worked <laughs> because he'd he'd gotten Mariah Carey's uh, Instagram or something, and I was like, I was pretty dubious about this this social media strategy, but it worked, and it was awful. So, but it, so, and what I was going to say was, it was it, uh, it's. I'm 
I think he'd be impressed that it was a joke so brutal that uh, Marina Hyde wrote a Guardian article about it, <laughs> about, the, about the joke. Um, and yeah, but I, I, think there's, I think there's a place but he everywhere laughed. for it. He, he, I like, mean, cackle like a fucking yeah. pirate, without a doubt. Um, yeah. and, so, and so that kind of thing, like the game was a, was a knee-jerk thing that I made, and it's unedited, and it's got typos, mm-hmm. and, and it's got a couple of dead ends, and, and I don't want to touch it. I'm not, I don't want to ever touch it now. Um, and the jokes that are in there and the kind of weirdness are in there completely reflected my actual thoughts and the joke you know we were kind of like when people were looking for and we were joking about you know it's gonna be passed out on someone's couch like a dick and blah, blah, blah. yeah and it's just part of how you how people deal with stuff sometimes i think it's a particularly british thing as well like british yeah. are very you know I, I, my stepdad is a, a gp and he's uh, he's well he's really well qualified he's seen it all and great he's person this, He's a great person, and was a really, really experienced medical professional, and he's seen it all. I've absolutely been right through the machine, and he's got the, the, the weirdest, blackest sense of humour. And I think that's it's the same thing. It's this coping kind of thing. Yeah. So yes, the game is um, it's a short branching narrative game that it doesn't specifically mention any names or locations. But if you know me, you will know you that know it's talking things. about my experience. Yeah. Um, but if you didn't know me, you would still get a thing out of it. And what it basically does is, I kind of almost wrote it by accident. So I, I've always written, I just constantly journal and chronicle and whatever. Mm. Um, and at the time, I'd written down a lot of the stuff that I'd, because the experience was so intense, both in terms of losing him and the fact that it was so high profile and it just a million things happened in, yeah. in a few days. There's, um, there's a bit in the game where you talk about the uh, police picking you up mm. and driving him and yeah. you're going like. So that's like one of, of just a million things mm. I was really paranoid about losing any of it and, and just kind of the these things being gone for whatever reason um, so I wrote the, I wrote a thing down and a lot of the stuff I'd written down was the stuff that I didn't do and I was worried about and I kind of you know mm-hmm. like, like, straight away so then that became I was speaking to a few few people about it and that that almost became there was one person in particular I'm not going to name because I promised I wouldn't what, at the time um, she suggested doing it like this and I went okay I'm, I'm going to try so I wrote it in Twine, and the idea is you go through this experience, and there is a pathway through the game that reflects exactly my experience. what happened. Nobody apart from me will ever know all of the decisions that I made, yeah. and then everything else didn't happen, but was could have happened, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's to me is is the power of sort of interactive fiction and. Well, that was the weird thing because it says before we start that this mm. is what, that and the what ifs. <laughs> yep. And like as I played through it, so I played through it a while ago. Mm-hmm. And I played through it again yesterday. It mm. wasn't a good day yesterday, by the way, mm. entirely because of you. Because I played all three. <laughs> oh, I, do, I don't know if you can still see it, but there's, see this little water stain. Oh that, man, did I make you tears. cry? Oh, sorry, that's man. tears there. Like, but that one there is uh, actual snot. Oh wow! Achievement <laughs> unlocked. Like, like proper. <laughs> but you know, that's like one of those things. So yeah, I'm I mean, an emotional person. I'm allowed to. Well, it's allowed the same. To do it. I, think, I think I'm quite in touch with my emotions, and I kind of. But I'm. I'm de- I feel like I'm better in writing. I'm better mm. in writing. So, but like, I made different choices this time, mm-hmm. and I was like, I wonder what's true. I should ask, and then it's like, why? Mm. Why do I need to know? I've had a lot of people actually say, "Did you do this?" Yeah, and, like, yeah. and I just, I just, it's yeah, just not. Yeah, that bit we stabbed the guy. That's yeah, <laughs> the, music, the musical number at the end was a bit weird. It was very on brand. So, 
But yeah, I mean, I can, to be honest, I well, won't even say that. The, the, I, I did see some footage of the funeral with the coffin. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Like just yeah. So just every every bit of that was just ridiculous. But um. so for those, I'm not going to get you googling coffins. It's a Coronation Street coffin. He had his fucking cat on the back as well, like just to pick this big bloody thing. So I was carrying it with this just this massive cat's face next to me. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, like it was just a way of a way of capturing this thing that was unique to me, and I've not been, I've not been back and played it. So I finished it mm-hmm. and I drew a line under it and went, I've done this, and I went up, done, and mm. not touched it since, intentionally. Um, but yeah, I definitely um, I think it blindsided a few people in the sense that why, like why aren't the, one of the questions I get mostly from people who are not maybe familiar with the idea of you know serious video games that aren't about shooting lasers. Yeah. Um, would be like why, why on earth would you make video games about this it's horrible mm. and it's kind of actually it's not it's valuable it was valuable to me as a creator mm. it's been valuable to other people you know I've had comments and emails and things from people saying I went through something similar and you've captured something that I couldn't get out I, I always find that this sort of that it's weird this idea that um, you can uh, the 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 couple that made the game that dragon cancer mm-hmm. about mm. you know and uh, how people will happily like tens of millions of people will happily buy a game that is murdering people mm. but then if someone makes a game about someone's death yeah. oh how could how dare yeah. you there's a disconnect what I think fuck? in you know there's 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 no it's a completely understandable thing that people would write a novel about an experience or there would be a film about an experience but then I don't think it's uniformly true but I think in wider terms and a wider audience terms who are not familiar with this stuff there's there's a bit of a void at the moment in terms of people not understanding that games is an excellent medium for exploring this stuff and yeah. I think there's unique there's a uniqueness to games that you don't get from more linear sort of media and sorry to bother you is a really good example of that yeah sorry I'm really, to bother you is, really the one, one. The, is what triggered it like yeah. yesterday the first one yeah, yeah. Um, but basically you can read on a news article saying you had what four thousand, however many thousands of messages in those days, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we can't understand that. Like that's a number. Yeah, it's an abstract thing until you try yeah. it. And then, it, like a minute in to sorry mm-hmm. to bother you, basically to describe the game, it, it's like uh, Tinder for a, a friend <laughs> or foe. Yeah, so it's like it's like an unwinnable puzzle game, basically. Yeah, where you, you play as myself holding my phone, and messages start to stream in of condolence. And your task as a player is to filter out the ones that are actually very thinly veiled journalist requests, of which I had hundreds as well. Yeah, and um, right from minute one, like mm. long before we'd even found out. Um, and the kicker, obviously, with the game is that every single thing that you read is verbatim from the messages. You know, it's only a tiny percentage of the messages I received. Yeah. Um, and it becomes unwinnable, and it's very, very. It happens very, very quickly. You know, within a couple of minutes, you can't yeah. win. Yeah, you you can yeah. be thirty messages deep, and yeah. yeah. But and if you pick the wrong thing, and you 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 either hit like or hit trash, and yeah. it's quite it's quite a simple mechanic. But I mean, your point about sort of um, the, showing someone, right? You know, the, that classic thing of show someone, don't tell them. I, yeah. I can I can get that across to you so much quicker in in thirty seconds of gameplay than like, I could in describing that, it. The unwinnable, the unsurmountable nature of it—it mm. it, it happens so quickly, and you don't realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, and like I say, that's thirty messages in, and yeah. like, that's probably, yeah. if it had a score. I don't know. If you maybe you put a secret. No, score I, in the back I, end. I, so I didn't even put. I was, I was going to. So interestingly, it's been it's since been used again. So it's currently not. 
public, but by the time this goes out, it will be. So okay. like tomorrow onwards. Um, so Hacked Off, which is the charity set up by Hugh Grant after yep, the Hacking yep. Inquiry, have um, licensed... So are you happy to talk about this? Yes. This, well, this, by, by the time it goes out... Yeah, this be, will go out next Tuesday yeah, or the it'll Tuesday It'll be after. public knowledge by then. So, um, so they've licensed a version of the game, so I've okay. made them like a cut of it. Um, that it takes away the personal stuff from me, but it, it puts you in the, the position of a person. Mm-hmm. And they're using it to basically talk about this issue to their audience, which are not games audiences whatsoever. Yeah. So they just said, this this depicts this thing so well, so quickly. You know, so and it was a very, very simple game. It took me a couple of days to make. I hired a, yeah. a friend of mine to do the illustration and the sound. It was a weekend project. It wasn't a big... For sound. them, have you got rid of the tattoos? Yes. <laughs> so I got rid of the tattoos and made them more generic hands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, and it was interesting that they, as an entity, saw the value in storytelling through mm. a simplistic game. And that, for me, is was a really good endorsement of the medium almost to say the people we're talking to most of them aren't video games players but we can send this to them you feel that pressure you can't keep up and and although that's like an unnatural feeling games aren't designed trying to make you uncomfortable Mm. they have the power to do that and they have the power to actually put you in your Mm your space yeah. and obviously it's from your perspective and, yeah. Yeah. but the weird thing is what because I got angry when the second I don't know how many they sent you but the second version of the Lorraine show message came in <laughs> there were quite a few of those yeah and I was like <laughs> I, yeah. I literally there was a moment you <laughs> like genuinely and then I was just I was like angry yeah. and then yeah. I was like fucking people and it's like well this is it it's just, a lot of it is just just disbelief you're like almost to the point of laughing I mean the name of the game was taken from a piece of paper that got shoved under the door uh, from a telegraph journalist who I've not met since and I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm, I'm a complete pacifist but, I, I, but you carry a I knife I definitely could have hit that guy in the face and yeah. he, but this was hours before we'd found out we'd, it was the morning after the attack mm-hmm. we'd had no idea what was going on He'd found my address. And you, written, talk, you talk about this specifically in See You Later. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's mentioned in that. And yeah. then, then the, that one act kind of named the, the game, Sorry to Bother You. And he, he basically left his business card and a handwritten note saying, Sorry to Bother You, at this difficult time, we'd like to have a chat and with it, you. And but it wasn't even to anyway. It was to the family. The family of Martin Hat. Yeah. Oh, it, it did say to Martin Hat. But still, you know. It was, a, yeah. And, and it, they went he, to the effort of finding out your address. Yeah. Can be fucked for and it says, it says on the note, it'll stick around for a little while in case we want. And it was just, the whole thing was just incredible to receive and yeah. it almost and I, 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 my biggest regret is that I didn't keep the note I threw it in the bin because at the time I just went fine yeah. and it only weeks and months later it only really hit me how bad that was and mm. like, it was just unbelievable um, because like you say this just, is, it's just so invasive isn't it and that's the, that was that's the, the thing the morning after the explosion before yeah. we had no idea he yeah. died or anything like that it was just we were in frantic yeah. panic mode we were all over the place so it was that that level of intrusion it was just so astonishing my reaction I don't know if it tells you anything about me as a, a human is because uh, you get you can you can sit back down or you can go outside as mm. such I was outside I was straight <laughs> down the street <laughs> yeah I, 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 yeah in hindsight I just oh man I mean obviously at the time everything's sort of high pressure but I just think I, I, there's very few people in the world I, I think I could punch in the face yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, you know I gen- genuinely 
but I mean, like, it, and it wasn't just me. And in the, the the horror story that that I get all the time, that like I think about a lot, is that there was an inquiry about a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. of which I kind of helped, kind of just say this is what happened. And there was one around. Um, there was a, one of the major hospitals in Manchester that had, had hundreds of people come in. They were given twenty. Was it twenty two people died? Yeah, in the end altogether. Yeah. So it's a really busy hospital with hundreds of injuries and everything. And these people were working so fucking hard. Like I can't even imagine being a medical professional of any kind in mm. that kind of circumstance. And uh, one of the reporters had sent in a tin of biscuits. This is completely true, you can look it up. Sent a tin of biscuits in, and in the biscuit tin, there was a letter asking for mm. interviews. So to see if you could, they could, like... Which biscuits, though? But I think that's They'd the important... Pretty, pretty goddamn good biscuits. Are we, <laughs> we're talking hobnobs. I'd, I'd want, like, a full cake before I respond to an interview cake. request via confectionery. Like, the tin of the foxes ones that are all covered in chocolate. Yeah. Is that and then a... the note is just under the good ones with the really thick And with ones. money. <laughs> and with, like, stacks of money. But, yeah, I, I mean, like, that as a thing, as a concept, <laughs> that someone would go, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to get my interview. Because I, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a realist, and I completely understand those a story to tell there is interest and whatever and I've I've done I've worked with the press you know I, I went into the Guardian a week later yeah. a week later to sort of um, denounce a lot of the, the rhetoric um, a lot of the far right rhetoric that's kind yeah. of fired up so I understand the, the, the need for the press and the usefulness of the press but it was just that kind of that intrusiveness was just horrendous and it's something mm. I'd never considered until I was in that position and that was kind of the impetus for making the game was to say actually this is a something that I want to kind of express, but b something that I think if if even one person plays this and goes, you know, one journalist plays this and goes, wow, this is unbelievable, mm-hmm. and it did. And I've had a couple of people reach out who initially contacted me at the time and said, this was too much. I'm sorry, and that yeah. was kind of that felt a bit weird actually. <laughs> kind of like, like you're being fair-handed to the press, under having that understanding, they this people want to know. Well, this is it. I, but, I want to turn my telly on and find out what happened. And but fine. I, I do think we as humans want to know now mm. when it's not like I. So I found out about the um, explosion while I was streaming on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Someone came into chat, actually, an arsehole mm. who had built a bot with a like, haha. But Jesus. Wow. Suggesting that Ario Grande was dead as well. So it was a bit of a, what? Some quick um, Google, okay, there's been that. But then I'm back to doing my day yeah. job well, you, of playing video games. Yeah, you, I mean, you kind of, you don't, it's hard to, to tell the magnitude, isn't it? I mean, my, yeah. I went to bed. I didn't, yeah. I just went, it's probably nothing. Yeah. Good night. Because <laughs> people blow, like, people just fucking say any old shit until we actually have any information. Well, that's, that's, well, that's what I said. So I wrote, I wrote a tweet literally before going to bed that just said, um, uh, there's been some reports of an accident or something. You don't know what's going on, mm. and it's you just it literally said shut the fuck up. Yeah, and then I went to sleep, and that was the last thing I did. And then obviously I woke up the next day and found out. But like it, we the the general populace don't need to know the we need to know the nitty we don't need to know the nitty gritty immediately. Mm-hmm. We need to know okay this has happened. This is why yeah. this has happened. We don't need a profile but, of the families involved. Right? Like <laughs> yeah, like it, it's. Us, our hunger for it as much as the media's yeah. willingness to put it there. Like, yeah. if we, we as the, the people and the press agreed, look, next time, hopefully there's never a next time, but next time, can we all just wait a week? Yeah, or just, I just, the headline Give is fine. Give fucking <laughs> five minutes to breathe. But that, but that doesn't happen though. I think that, and it's one of the, another one of these things that I think I blame the internet for a lot. That directness and that nowness mm. isn't the thing that we've always had, really. 
Um, and I think like particularly on social as well, like social media for all the good it's done, there's now an, a, a sort of a need for the the heartbeat of something that's happening right this second. My yeah, my issue with it as well is that it, it's the unfiltered nature of it. Mm. So um, you can misinformation can be the only information you receive. Yeah. Because yeah, you choose, you curate your experience. So yeah. if you choose, okay, I'm going to follow Paul Joseph Watson and Sargon of Akkad yeah, and, yeah. and whatever uh, puppet account Tommy's using these days, and I'm going to get a version of yeah. the truth that isn't the truth. Yeah. But I think it's, it's different. If you're, if you're the kind of person who's got the, got the enough critical thinking ability to go, this is not an accurate picture of things. Mm then it's fine. But the problem is that a lot of people don't have that. And I, I think some of it is a generational thing, maybe. Yeah. You know, my, so my uh, stepdad's dad, uh, who I know very well, he is on the internet now. He's long since retired. Mm. And he has no um, inbuilt way of deciphering what is bullshit news. You know, yeah. he, he has no way of, of looking at two news stories. One of them is from bbc.co.uk mm-hmm. and one of them is from supercoolnews.biz. And he, like any, yeah. like I would go. That is obviously nonsense. I'm not yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's, that, that is, there's a whole kind of system at play there of, of um, the sort of news and opinion and everything else. This is unless you've got unless you're equipped with the skills to start picking through it a little bit. Yeah. And I think this is one of the reasons we're in such a predicament at the moment. I definitely, I definitely think education and and getting people to at least question, at least mm. look for multiple sources. Just even if that that yeah. becomes a habit. But we also have the problem that you come up against people who are being disingenuous because it's financially beneficial for them to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy Robinson, (laughs) Katie Hopkins. And, like, we, we, freedom of speech is an issue that we should all be fighting for. But it's really hard to fight for freedom of speech when people are deliberately misusing Mm. it. Yeah, for their own benefit. Yeah, it's, I like. It's, I genuinely would like Tommy Robinson more if he was just a good old-fashioned racist. <laughs> but it, he's not. He's a good old-fashioned racist who's doing it for the fucking money. Yeah, of course, he's he, he in a, and racist. In a million quid gated mansion. Um, yeah, and, yeah, it, it is annoying, I, and it's, it becomes one of the sort of core. Um, you know, so I've, I've courted a lot of. I catch a lot of heat from the far right. Well, the, this is what. Well, obviously, after I do a lot of work in this sector now of bait, baiting racists. <laughs> <laughs> But obviously, after Martin's death, and you you talk, spoke out against mm. uh, the manipulation of of what went on. Yeah, it's, I mean, even before the manipulation, it's more a case of it's. Yeah, I mean, it's it was more like a there was an instant framing of an us versus them, and uh, and and it, it instantly felt horrendous that someone would use what had happened to then suddenly demonise millions of people and mm. it's, it's just such an easy obvious thing and when you've got people like Tommy Robinson and that whole fucking crowd who will say oh we're not we're not racists we're against extremism but then actually what you what they profess all day is really hardcore anti-Muslim rhetoric against all Muslims but the or whatever because like, they will obviously talk about people being radicalised mm. while they are attempting to radicalise people yeah, themselves exactly exactly and the, the radicalization kind of system is exactly the same whether it's an islamist being mm. radicalized or a disaffected young man who joins the edl the yeah. process is the same and what's what gets me even more is that these two sides of these the spectrum aren't just similar but they literally need each other they need each uh-huh. other to exist and that's yeah. what that's what blows my mind is just that 
there's there's no way of of de-escalating this because yeah. you, you both use the same tactics, the same things. And the thing is, like, if you look at say Tommy Robinson reading badly reading the Quran, mm. it's the same as uh, ISIS using readings of the Quran that are not correct. Yeah, and both of those readings are um, oh, we're the the Quran is is calling for violence. Both of those groups are being disingenuous, and yeah. they're both doing the same thing. So then you, it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is almost turning into another podcast entirely now. But oh, it's fine. It's, as a thing, they're used to it by now. It's such a, they used to meet it's, just, it's very. Um, I find it very frustrating, and I, I mean, like, so, like at risk of trying to promote the thing that I'm doing now, I'm working mm. on a game that touches on a lot of this stuff in more detail, which is why I'm getting better at talking about it. Because mm. um, yeah, obviously, I'm for obvious reasons, I've gotten more clued up about a lot of this stuff. Um, so I'm working on a game now that is way bigger and, and literally exists to explore some of this stuff because yeah. I've been at the centre of something that's much bigger than me now. It's an important thing to challenge. It's an Im- and, and not just the like the f- most extreme parts mm-hmm. of it. This us <coughs> and them thing mm-hmm. that's going on. The othering of... not. It's not just about a race or a religion. You see it with. Um... But, I mean, that's that's where it's difficult though, because like, with, as with all things, not just in terms of extremism, but every, everybody thinks they're the hero in their own, their own story, right? Mm. Everyone thinks they're right, and and I, I I get that to a point, but it is that that's what makes it so difficult. You know, I have no doubt that Tommy Robinson is absolutely convinced he's correct about this mm-hmm. stuff, and he doesn't he isn't, he doesn't see he's the bad guy. Despite the fact he's universally despised by people yeah. who aren't completely on board with him, um, and it's kind of that, that kind of thing to me is extremely interesting as someone who is now part of this sort of story, um, and the idea that you're you're in the middle of this thing that is is built as a very polarized thing, but actually, as you say, there's extremes. You know, Tom Robinson is the extreme of this thing, but I think actually the bigger problem we've got at a societal level is. The less extreme part of things, where you've got this normalisation, you know, the, the Daily Mail just is just constantly churning through this stuff. Yeah. Where yeah. it's kind of, and it's all it's like a socially acceptable no okayness where you'll say, well, I'm not racist, I just don't want them on my street. <laughs> or, you know, all that shit that's existed since the seventies. You know, it's that yeah. that kind of thing is coming back um, now. And, weirdly, the episode before this uh, philosophy tube one, mm. yeah, he he has a whole. Uh, thing about transphobia mm-hmm. and and that it's your your dad. He calls it. It's like it's it's what your dad would have said. That they've they've come around to the idea mm. that like say two men might kiss, mm. but I don't want to see it. Yeah, you know, it's that thing of like well that that's still yeah that's still not a good thing. Mm. Okay, you're not going to go punching them and you're not going to go stopping them. Mm. That's great. Well done. <laughs> well done, dad. But at the same time, it's still not, we're not, you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. I think the, the reason I actually brought up your brother and the games about it is that the creative need to channel that somewhere mm. is really yeah. fascinating to me. Because my experience of, of life and death I go completely the other way. Mm. And I don't, I don't know why that is, but like my cousin, uh, Stephen killed himself a couple of years ago. It was fucking horrific. And I just stopped for weeks. Mm. You know, I didn't, I didn't, <coughs> I didn't stream. I didn't create. I didn't, I was just like, fuck it. Mm. What's, what's the fucking point? And 
it took so long to even want to put something in a world yeah. that, like, I know it wasn't the world that took my cousin Stephen away. Mm. He actually took himself it away. It feels like it, though, because there's so much more to someone's mm. process than that. Yeah. 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 But, like, genuinely, was it. Did this have to exist for you? Mm. Was this something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think everyone's different, right? And I, so I, I, my stepbrother said he he played a little bit and just couldn't understand it, but he was kind of positive that I'd done it. Mm. And I kind of, um, yeah, I, I think I've always ex- want, needed to express stuff, and and I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones, right? I've I've never been through that kind of trauma. I've you know mm. largely had a pretty uneventful life. I've not even lost very close relatives as far as grandparents never been through anything like that before so at no point have I had this kind of burning need to get something out of my head and down mm. and, and then this happened and it just it felt like a natural thing to do and the, the question of it being a video game or something else is well if I was not a guy who makes games and I was a poet then mm. I think my poetry would would have taken a new yeah, tone yeah. and a new whatever and I like ultimately I'm not that and I'm this and that's it. so the, so my, my, my ship steered a little bit well a lot yeah um, and yeah but I mean but at the same time I can completely understand if I wasn't a creative and I was doing other stuff then would that story be different mm. arguably yeah I think it was just the, the you, you respond to stuff as you are I guess you know mm-hmm. my, my dad for example stoic northern bloke would never he's he's a lot more he's like the opposite of me in that sort Mm. of sense he just has taken it and dealt with it and he's you know still still in a healthy way but like he wouldn't talk about it constantly or whatever and people do different things he's put it in in whatever box it needs to go in and yeah yeah. I mean people yeah and it's impossible to figure out how you're going to deal with something like this until it happens and how I dealt with it was not how I expect if you just said oh you're going to go through something horrible in a few years what what you know if you yeah. if something happened, what would you do? Would you disappear or whatever? And I kind of like well, I've seen films about it and people go crazy and mm. scream at the sky and all this and I, like and you but you the truth is you have no idea. And mm. what I ended up doing was I poured myself into doing stuff, you know. And before I even started on my own stuff, I was working on a project um, that had started before it all happened. Um, it was it was for Naho Matsuda, this amazing artist. I was mm-hmm. on a uh, is this everything with, every time yes yeah and it was about um, that research tip top oh, sorry we're talking about <laughs> death um, <laughs> well I mean she, she, this project was about putting poetry onto these signs all over the man, all over like the city taking information from the city yeah. and, and putting um, within, back in within a few weeks I'd gone back to the project you know people mm. were still we'd not at the funeral or anything yet and I'd gone back to it but people were like are you really going to go back to it I think I'd gone back to it it's been about four weeks or something and I went back to work and, but it wasn't work because what I was doing was I was working on something for someone really good putting something nice back into Manchester which yeah. sounds really twee but, but it was, there was, part of it was about wanting to do something productive mm-hmm. and part of it was about just doing something and not milling around the house and, and kind of yeah. I've never been I'm not really like I just never really moped in hindsight mm. I should have done I should have taken a bit more time off he would have wanted me to but, um, but yeah I mean but again I, I know that good mope I've had well, some like great just, moments just, in my time. I've had a bloody good wallow and I didn't... Good wallow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just, I think I've, I've always been a, a doer and I just, I think there's, there's, there's a certain catharsis in getting stuff out yeah. for me. And yeah, the word catharsis comes up all the time when people ask me about the game, say, was it cathartic doing all this? Yeah. And yeah, like undoubtedly, just in the same way that writing stuff down or shouting or whatever your, whatever your mm. flavour is, I guess. Um, yeah. I just didn't expect it to be this kind of thing. 
but I'm glad it is. It's, it's weird when we talk about catharsis, because catharsis, because this whole podcast is catharsis mm. for me. Like, I've 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 suffered from mental health issues since my teens, and uh, creativity was an outlet for mm. that. But then having success, and then coming to the end of the career thing. Like the creativity then got wrapped into the depression, and it was like there was a couple of years there that were like, mm. yeah, this is shit. And weirdly, like being able to talk to other creators, and every fucking creator has got the same ten problems. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> like like Mike, Mike Bithell has got the same problems as Syriac Harris yeah, and yeah. Syriac, and, and it's like there is there is that. Uh, being able to share something mm. is just wonderful. But also being able to ask yourself the question of why do I do this? Mm. You know, if this makes me feel pain at times, why do I do it? And if the answer, if you hear an answer back from wherever that is in your brain that you like, then you carry on doing it. No matter what pain you've gone through, no matter what you've mm. gone through, which I, I find fascinating. Um, there's one thing that you talk about in talks that is reflected in the way people remembered Martin. So the hashtag be more Martin. <laughs> and you, yep. you talk about in, in talks saying yes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just fascinating to me that like yeah. you're, you said yes, <laughs> you, you lied to get jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this is true. So Google, true. Google down here talks <laughs> or whatever. And you'll, you'll hear this story, but you, you've like, you've said yes to things in your life, and it yeah, seems yeah. like Martin said yes too. Yeah, it, it, it's not just saying yes. I think it's it's taking a punt on stuff. Mm. You know, like sort of this hail mary, what if kind of thing is. You know, we we were could not be more different as people. On the this is where I'm going. Yeah, that yeah. you are so like, different as, as humans, as pe- as people in terms of what we we were into and the way we were. Yeah, Cor- the East Coronation Street, yeah. your East Enders. I'm, I'm more of a Slayer guy, <laughs> because, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, but then at the same time, I think that one of the things that I've been told a lot from, particularly from like his friends and you know people that I really wasn't in contact with, that they've said that my outlook is quite similar to him, mm. but it's just expressed in a different way. Yeah, almost. Um, and like one of my biggest regrets is kind of not realizing that mm. until after, until long afterwards. Um, I mean, the friggin' hashtag in, in and of itself is stupid. You know, the idea. So, my dad said he'd write me out of the will if I ever got a tattoo. I'm covered now. <laughs> um, and then he, he ended up getting hashtag Be More Martin tattooed. And I just, I cannot even believe. And he was such a, such a pussy about it as well. <laughs> um, and he doesn't know what hashtag is, but he's got one tattooed on him now. But I mean, that, but that, is, that thing is an ethos that came out of this thing just spontaneously. It was amazing. But it's, um, it's an ethos that you both clearly already had yeah, complete, before. Yeah, it completely is. Um, and I kind of, we, it turns out we have, we were more similar than we realised. Mm. Um, but he's just, until, until he'd gone, we didn't realise until... Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. so it's, we, we were more similar than, than I thought. Yeah. Um, but I, I never got it tattooed anyway. It's the one other thing. I, I, do, I do have an M. Like mm-hmm. quite quietly hidden within a tattoo, which is enough for me. Um, which he'd be howling at. And to be honest, I was going to get uh, for fuck's sake, Martin, <laughs> somewhere. Which I, I still might, to be honest, because that that is much more kind of um, much more indicative of the kind of interactions that I would have with him. Yeah. Would just be like he'd, he'd just get up to some nonsense, 
and me and my parents and a few others were just, it, it was always just oh, for Christ's sake what are you doing like <laughs> and, but that feels like a more representative thing and it goes back to the humour thing right like yeah. I just the idea that you can still you know people go oh you shouldn't you shouldn't talk ill of the dead and it's like I don't know man, a bit, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it actually when I was like you, you can punch me after I say this, but um, <laughs> when I was up, when I was fucked yesterday, I watched Wendy Williams, this American yeah, yeah, talk yeah. show host. I'm, I'm like digging through <laughs> clips and stuff. This is how I research. It's like three three days. I get into <laughs> lots of stuff getting under the skin. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I saw that Wendy Williams clip, and mm. it's like a minute, and I wow. see, see fucking bald. I was bawling, <laughs> and then I like just muttered to myself. It's like, if you'd had better taste in music, you wouldn't be dead. <laughs> so, well, someone made that joke, and it was like, it was unbelievable. And I kind of, yeah, I like... <laughs> but it's, it's, that, it's that kind of thing. It's just, mm. it's, just th- it's black fucking humor. But, like, it doesn't, it, that doesn't, didn't come from the front bit of my brain. That was, like, this reactive <laughs> thing that came out of me. And I, like, I instinctively looked around my living room. I live alone. No one heard me. You know, but you know it. You know. I know it, and then it was like, right. yeah, no, it's it's yeah. I, I I'm a bit proponent. I, I I honestly do think you can joke about most things in the context of of it being. Well, how would we describe it? In a, it's appropriately inappropriate. Yeah, because yeah. It, it I'm, is, I'm a, uh, you can if joke the, about if the tables were turned. Yeah. He, he will be doing exact way way worse. Yeah. Um, the the only like for me with boundaries and humour is as long as you're not punching down. Yeah, I mean that's that's know? the kicker, isn't it? You know, and I think that yeah, we we even as from when we were kids up until right at the end, we were just dicks to each other, but it was mutual, and that's different too. Yeah. Yeah, put like punching down is a really good way of explaining it. I think it's it's if you're doing it at the it's not at the expense of somebody. Mm. And it's from a good place, you know. And yeah. I'm happy to continue to do so. So, um, well, like I, I think I, I, there was a, a lot more about creativity I was going to ask you about, but <laughs> other stuff, creativity and dead brothers aside, yeah, I really need to piss. So right. I think on that bombshell, on that bombshell, let's <laughs> let's call it call it a day there. Hey, that was Dan Het and I talking a lot for 70 odd minutes. We actually talked to them, we actually talked for a fair amount longer, but there were a couple of occasions where I went off on rambles, which ended up in the cul-de-sac of absolutely no point to the rambles. So um, just for the interest of brevity and, and, and making it a, a more interesting listen, I may have lifted one or, the, one or two of those out. Um, as you can tell, I'm not good at brevity. That said, there's no change of uh, meaning or there's no dodgy editing there. And uh, if anyone wants to fight me over it, I can, I can just give you the original audio and you can go, oh, oh, that's, oh yeah, no, that, the way you did it was way better. I'm only saying this because I don't really edit them particularly much at all. It's just lifting out the thousand times that I say like in a in a day. Otherwise, they'd be like nine hour long podcasts. But yeah, definitely check out Dan's work. It's really interesting, and uh, I'm quite jealous of his talent. But that could be said for every single person we've had on the the podcast so far. And don't forget, if you want to check out the music from each episode, it'll all be up on danasack.bandcamp.com. And uh, yeah, check out the Patreon as well if you want to throw a little support my way. It would be greatly appreciated. 
Next week's guest, I can't tell you who it is yet. I can't even give you clues because I haven't recorded it yet. Uh, I'm hoping to get it done in the next couple of days. Just, you know, trying to nail down creatives to give me two hours of their time isn't the easiest thing in the world. But it's going to be amazing, whoever it turns out to be. It's going to be the greatest podcast of all time, knowing my luck. But yeah, enjoy. Uh, spread the good word on my behalf. And I'll talk to you next week. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.